Ryan Boudreaux will Germain. Here's Delphi up the inside again. Three wide into turn three. Hang on, Nelly. Here they come off four. Germain into the wall. Look out. Delphi is upside down. Snap roll and beat into turn one. comes around with one lap to go. Brian Hoare goes by Berger Blake in turn number one. Scott comes with him. Brian Hoare, who sat on the pole, wins two segments. His dad is going to win the third segment, and he's going to come home the overall champion with a third-place finish in the final segment. I'm Tom Corbett. He is Justin St. Louis. Welcome back, everybody, to Uncommon Deeds. Thank you for bearing with us for a, uh, what ended up a two-week holiday break. Yeah. Planned on the one, and then just some scheduling conflicts around New Year's, and we don't want to push it around the holiday time, bugging people. So we took an extra week, and but... Back with a vengeance. Yeah, and this one will be worth the wait for you, I think. Even if you don't know who Mike Parks is, this is a really cool story. Um, yeah, the holiday was super weird with with getting people lined up. It just two weeks in a row fell on a, what, Sunday, right? Yeah. And Monday is always chaos the day after both of those days. And just finding the time, it just didn't work. So we said, yeah, the hell with it. We'll take a week off. Yeah. Um, but we got Mike Parks lined up and it was uh it was really cool. And I think I mentioned it in the interview that we don't even talk about Claremont most of the time, but we have got more support from the Claremont area than I think any other pocket in New England except for maybe Barry in Vermont. Um and so we felt this was kind of an important one to kind of give back to our, our listenership. But I think it's no matter where you're from, this one's going to be a super cool episode because this is a guy that's kind of done every piece of the sport. And um, he's getting boned right now, to be honest with you. And for the first time, outside of, obviously, Ken Squire, it's our first real venture into the promotion side. Well, I think you've just thrown some shade at the Hart brothers, haven't you? I think they would probably agree. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So yeah, it's a different different avenue and it's something that we rarely ever do is we're talking about something that's kind of relevant in the news as it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, that is true for sure. We we kind of stay off hot topics. Uh, because we're not smart enough to handle them. We only go into hot topics. Oh, 
Is that still a store? Probably. Or at least okay. online, I'm sure. Yeah. I can't wait till we show up to our next in-person with, I don't know, like a Tom Tiller or something, and you've got a leather band around your neck with spikes on it. You got it. Hot topic. We'll go see Chris Mashad. There you go. That's right. Super <laughs> excited about our next live show. Yeah. Uh, if you checked out the Facebook page in the last few weeks, especially the last few days, starting to get some pictures of the beaver shirts getting out and about. Yeah. And starting to get another kind of influx of people wanting to order the beaver shirt. So get at us. Now's the time. We're not ready to rip off the next set of shirts yet, but now's the time to get that order in. We do have um, a few uh, beaver dragon t-shirts left in stock and in some sizes. If you want something that we don't have in stock, or if you want a hoodie, which we don't have in stock, um, you can certainly place an order and it'll take probably about a month. Um, I would say maybe even up to six weeks at the most, but uh, we'll absolutely get them made and and ready for you. We just got to get enough to put a batch together to make a full order. But um, we do have some sizes of the t-shirts available and um, we've moved a few in this past week. Um, It was kind of a nice surprise to see uh, the picture that Jamie Beagward posted that Beaver stopped over to his store in Morris Forks and handed him a few t-shirts and we got some, we got some action out of that. So thanks to Jamie for the free promotion there. That was cool. Yeah. Also, and I know we had people ask us about it at the live show. Second mention there, go check it out on YouTube. Uncommon media VT about uh, female cut shirts. Now's the time. Let us know if that's something you want so we can get that for you. Yeah, that's something that we haven't done. We had one or two people ask about them, yeah, at the Milk Bowl, but nobody has placed an order or asked since. Um, But it's certainly something that we can do, absolutely. But we move forward. More merch will come in the future. I know Justin's already cooking on the next installment of the Legend Series shirts. Yeah. But speaking of legends, Pro Heat. Yeah. Legends. And not only the Heat game, but in this podcast. Yes. And they're back, baby. Woo! Proud sponsors. Go ahead. Of story time. Yeah. Which means I have to do it now. <laughs> no excuses. None. Uh, I, th- I think we're still going to go every other week, but I have to do it. Like, it's not a choice now. Right? Right. But yeah, uh, MJ Massetti was like, hey, I want to do story time. Let's let's do this thing. And I'm like, Sweet. And I said, here's how much it costs. And he sent a check without telling me how many he was going to buy. And for the next 10 episodes, apparently, we're doing story time. Uh, but no, we are uh, super excited. And now yeah. is the time, obviously, as in theory, we're going to get winter at some point. I mean, it's cold enough. It is cold now after losing all our snow and 
50 degree weather. Uh, mm-hmm. If the heat goes down, something happens. Pro heat. There's a reason why it says pro at the beginning. The professionals know what they're doing and they're the ones that can help you. And I know Justin, you dealt with this last year when you lost your heat in the middle of the winter, one random night. And if pro heat was closer, they would have saved the day. Yeah. Ain't no fun losing your heat in January. Um, You're right about that. So, I mean, I think what was our deal? We had a, we had a furnace die and we had a hot water tank die in the space of six weeks or something when we first bought the house. And, um, MJ Massetti could do both of those jobs for us. If we were a little bit closer to the East Montpelier footprint, you know, we're, we're a little bit too far out here over in Bridport, but, um, man, he's at, he's been at it 21 years now, um, with his business pro heat and more than 30 years he's been in the game. So I think he's got a pretty good, uh, base of, of what, <laughs> of what he needs to do when, when problems arise for you. So, if it's a space heater, if it's a heat pump, if it's uh, a boiler or a new oil tank or a furnace or a hot water heater, Pro Heat's your place to go. Um, absolutely, you know it's it's super cool that um, the Pro Heat has come back to us. I don't think they've been with us since April or May of last year, um, so it's it's pretty cool that um, that we've kind of got a repeat customer here. But the coolest part about this whole thing is that we've heard that customers of ProHeat have gone to do business with Bushy's generator sales and service and and likewise um, because of their involvement in the pro, in the podcast. So um, that tells you that this program is kind of working, um, which I think we're real proud about. Absolutely. So check out ProHeat, a $16.89, Vermont Route 14, East Montpelier. Give them a call, 802-479-9330. Yeah, it's like Justin said. And like the old saying used to go, if you love something, let it go. If it comes back, it's yours. Pro heat is ours. A little teardrop running down my eye here. That's that's beautiful. Well, dry that tear as it is now time for story time. The American-Canadian tour was going through some big changes in 1994, and not all of them were for the better. The Canadian economy was in a deep recession, the value of the loony dropped significantly, and Tom Curley's major backer for many years, General Motors of Canada, did not return with any financial support after the end of the 93 season. Look, GM Canada had been a huge part of what it was then the ACT Pro Stock Tour. The GM Motorsport National Stock Car Series had run from 1989 through 1992, counting all of the Canadian races on the tour schedule as its own championship with major bonuses. In fact, 12 of the tour's 23 races, which is just over half the schedule, were held at eight tracks scattered from western Ontario to northern Quebec to far east in Nova Scotia. The GM Motorsport Series went away after 1992, but still, the General picked up the sponsorship of the full 1993 season, and for that year, the tour was known as the ACT GM Goodwrench Tour, still with nine races north of the border. But when the financial bomb dropped in 1994, a major void was left. ACT was left without a sponsor, there was no bonus series, and only one Canadian track booked a single race, that being the Saint Air Super Speedway that Tom Curley himself held the lease on. 
So Mr. Curly looked for something special to jazz up the summer and give racers something extra to shoot for. Enter the 1994 Sunoco Regional Series. The pieces had already been in place, and really it was simply a matter of rebranding and making a new announcement, but it truly did create some excitement. The ACT footprint would be split into three regions. Region 1 was east, the main tracks of Oxford, Beach Ridge, and Unity, which had run in 1993 as the main state late model championship series. Region 2 was central. That was Airborne Raceway in New York, Thunder Road in Vermont, and New Hampshire's Riverside Speedway, which in 1993, that was the ACT Late Model International Series, known today as the ACT Late Model Tour. Region 3 was called West, but it was a bit scattered, with stops at Ontario's Mosport and Capital City Speedways, Quebec's Circuit Saint-Croix and Autodrome Saint-Eustache, and Airborne in New York. Region 3 was mostly the leftovers of the 1993 Goodyear Challenge Series in Ontario. Each region would have six races for its own championship, and drivers would declare a home region to use their point total in a combination of all drivers for the overall title. That concept meant that the late models of Thunder Road, Airborne, and Riverside, which at the time were on treaded 8-inch tires with little 305s and 307s under the hood, would run under the same point structure as the Pro Stocks or the Super Late models of Maine and Ontario, which had 10-inch slicks and wide-open dry sump motors. It was an interesting concept, and a handful of drivers even decided to run for more than one regional title. Vermonters Beaver Dragon and Dennis Demers each had a Pro Stock and a Late model at his disposal, and each ran Regions 2 and 3. While Ontario's Derek Lynch used his pro stock to run Region 3 at home and the far-off Region 1 races in Maine, lots of other drivers dropped in here and there for select races in different regions as well. Region 1 in Maine was, by all accounts, an all-star race at every stop. Mike Rowe, Jeff Taylor, Tracy Gordon, Ralph Nason, Stan Meserve, and the aforementioned Derek Lynch were at every race, and they had some dandies. Race and Ralph won the opener at Beach Ridge in April, fending off Gordon, Taylor, hometown hero Mike Johnson, and Lynch. The king of Oxford Plains Speedway, Mike Rowe, lived up to his billing in race number two in May, beating, well, the other king of Oxford, Jeff Taylor. Unity's two races were wild, and in June, it was former NASCAR driver and former ACT Tekken Inspector Stan Meserve, winning a squeaker over Boss Hog Dave St. Clair and Beatridge star Glenn Cusack. Mike Rowe topped Taylor and Lynch at Beatridge in July. Nason beat young Pete Rondo at Oxford in August, and the Unity finale in August was Rowe beating Taylor in a fender thrashing final lap. Mike Rowe won three of the six races with Jeff Taylor second in each one of them, but Taylor was ultimately more consistent and earned the Region 1 championship by just 10 points. In fact, the top five of Taylor, Rowe, Gordon, Nason, and Lynch were just 40 points apart. Region 2, today's ACT late model tour, started off with Dennis Demers beating hometown favorite Buck O'Branham at Airborne in May ahead of Chuck Beatty, Jim Silly, and Phil Scott. Two weeks later at Riverside, Brent Dragon got it done ahead of Beatty and Gary Karen. In June at Thunder Road, Gene Paul Sear was a first-time winner ahead of Dave Whitcomb, Jim Silly, Chuck Beatty, and Beaver Dragon. Pat Corbett won at Airborne in late June over Brent Dragon, and then Brian Hoare swept the last two races at Thunder Road in July and Riverside in September. But it was Gene Paul Sear who beat Silly for the championship by 23 points. Interestingly, Silly finished in the top five in five of the races, but he failed to qualify for the second Thunder Road show, or else he likely would have been the champion. Region 3 was a little bit of a problem child with inconsistent car counts and a travel schedule that wasn't exactly easy, with its easternmost and westernmost tracks some 430 miles apart. Nevertheless, Derek Lynch was the dominant force, winning four of the six races and finishing third in the other two. He stole the lead from all-time great Junior Hanley on the final lap to win the opener at Mosport Speedway in May, which was the first ACT-sanctioned win of Derek Lynch's career and of his magical 1994 run. Lynch then beat Beaver Dragon heads up in Ottawa at Capital City in June. 
Back at Mostport in July, a week before Derek Lynch won the Oxford 250 as part of the regular ACT schedule, Junior Hanley got some redemption on him by beating Dennis Demers. Lynch topped Donald Thiege and Demers at St. Croix in August and then blistered the field at St. Estache in September, winning ahead of Donald Forte and Dave Whitlock. It was all but over before the Sunoco region finale at Airborne on October 1st, the day before ACT's Fall Foliage 300. Donald Forte beat Dave Whitlock and Derek Lynch for the race, but it was all Derek Lynch for the championship. Quebec's Claude Leclerc was a distant second in the standings, 99 points behind, with his best finish being a fourth at Mosport. Whitlock, Demers, and rookie Martin Waugh completed the top five in the standings, but 10th place Dave Taylor was almost 350 points behind Lynch, outlining the car count problem. When the overall standings were mushed together, Derek Lynch was thankful that he had declared Region 3 as his home region as his masterful run there blew everybody away. He outpaced Region 1's Jeff Taylor by 64 points for the Sunoco Regional Series overall championship, and Taylor's fellow Mainers, Mike Rowe and Tracy Gordon, ranked 3rd and 4th, with Region 2 champion Gene Paul Sear completing the overall top 5. Had Derek Lynch declared Region 1 as his home region, his point total there would have left him 8th overall. As we all know now, the next season in 1995 was a dismal year for ACT, and the Sunoco Regional Series did not return. But oh, what fun it was while it lasted. This edition of Storytime on Uncommon Deeds has been brought to you by our friends at ProHeat. We are in the dead of winter here in the north, and if you're cold at home now, or if you want to get ready for next winter, ProHeat of East Montpelier, Vermont is the only call you need to make. With 21 years in business and more than 30 years of experience in the industry, the staff at ProHeat are constantly learning and evolving and ready to tackle any and every situation in a hurry and get it right. ProHeat is a one-stop shop for sales, installation, and service of furnaces, oil tanks, gas, oil, electric, and hybrid water heaters, cold climate heat pumps, Renai space heaters, gas and oil boilers, and much more. For more information, visit ProHeat on Facebook or call the East Montpelier office at 802-479-9330 or you can call Michael John Massetti directly at 802-272-0964. Professional, reliable, on-time ProHeat. Now, let's get into this week's episode of Uncommon Deeds. Our guest this week is uh, somebody that has come up on this show quite a few times. He is one of the best friends that New Hampshire racing has right now, and he's kind of getting beat up right now, but uh, he's going to come out uh, smelling like a rose on the other side, no matter how it turns out. But he's done a whole lot more in racing than just uh, operate tracks and series. He was a hell of a driver, too, and uh, he's just a big fan of the sport, and uh, it's a pleasure to have him on the show finally. Uh, my friend Mike Parks, welcome to Uncommon Deeds. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. It's always the same every single week, and that is uh, when do you remember motorsports coming into your life? Oh, God. Um, I re- I can honestly remember having slight memories of sitting in the grandstands at the old track in, at, in Fairmont, the old track in Fairhaven, before they built Devil's Bowl. Wow. That, that, that's how, how far it goes back. Um and been going, been doing the racing deal ever since I was born, one year old, two years old, and and been a weekly spectator, competitor I, I, for as long as I can remember, to be honest. So I'm guessing your parents were fans. Yeah, my my um, my dad, my granddad uh, were from the Wells, Vermont, Granville area. So I, you know, as a kid. You know, I didn't spend any time at Claremont, Monadnock over here. We always spent our time at Devil's Bowl or Fonda or Lebanon Valley, you know, that area. As as I grew up, I didn't start doing any of the asphalt stuff until 
thought I was a junior or senior. I was probably a sophomore in high school. That explains the dirt stuff. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I never see you at asphalt races unless you're promoting them. I see you yeah. at dirt tracks as a fan. Yeah, that's I, I grew up and 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 did a lot of worked on some dirt cars for a long time and ju- and just that that's where I grew up going to the races was on the dirt tracks. Sure. What was the first thing you kind of were able to sink your teeth in? As far as as getting involved in motorsports, uh, a friend of mine in Springfield, Vermont, Kelly Harrison. Um, Kelly was a friend of mine. Uh, actually, I, I hung out with his brother-in-law, and we we were the same age. And Kelly was racing, uh, I don't know, street stocks, late models, whatever we wanted to call them, back in the late seventies. And that's that's where I started actually working on. Is 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 in, in that time frame, seventy six, seventy seven in that time frame. Tell us a little bit about Kelly Arison because he's a guy that uh, people have suggested that we talk to, and I I know I know his name, and that's about it. But he seems like a real interesting person. Yeah, Kelly's done got a, a whole bunch of stuff over the years. Um, he he's done his own racing career, you know, racing locally in the local short tracks, and then he went to work for Bill Alsop and did the whole IndyCar thing for a long time. And then he ended up, I almost think, think it was Penske. He ended up working with, with Penske for three or four years. And then uh, the last I knew, he just sold his business in Springfield. I believe he's out in Arizona or someplace now. He, he's he's semi, semi-retired uh, as far as I know. I, have, I actually, honestly, I haven't seen Kelly in probably two or three years now. So what were you doing on his race cars? Just pulling fenders and measuring tires? Oh yeah, or? yeah. I was I was a gopher at that time. <laughs> you know, whatever needed to be done. You know, changing the tire, pulling fenders, pounded dents. You know, what whatever. It, you know, they were that at that time he was racing a Barracuda. Uh, so that, that was so, something different. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And that's all. You know, Claremont obviously, but was he traveling around at all? Yeah, it was Claremont Manad, basically Claremont Manad. At that at that at that time, and then uh, in the early '80s, I built a street stock. I think in '82, Gary Baker and I built a street stock in '82. I think it was. I ran that for a, a year. Then my son was my son was growing up, so I went to work with uh, Dave Bivens, and we ran Claremont uh, Manadnock in, in, in the pro stocks at that time, and then we ended up racing for Tom Curley in the ACT yeah. Tour. Yeah, I, I'm. What year did Beaver had have, have his flip at, at yeah, Catamount '87? And, and okay. I actually remember cheering for Dave Bibbins because he had Idle Knot Farms as a sponsor. Yep. And my mother grew up in Springfield, and we drank Idle Knot milk. Yep. When, yeah, yeah. So we we ran that race as as more of a one off because because Tom, Tom at that time had some Southern New England Pro Stock options race. So we did one or two events that year. And then we went racing full time ACT, probably in eighty eight and eighty nine. We 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 did ACT. So that 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 got my that that got my traveling and and that part of my career, um, go, going in that direction. Anyways, what'd you learn from that kind of adventure in ACT and Tom Curley? Oh, we, we, I was so far over my head at that time. It was it was unbelievable. It it was. It was so much fun, though. You, you you know, we we did it. It was around the time of the stock stock car connection deal, 
And, you know, we want the snare and we want the lead. And it's one of the highlights of, it's kind of dumb, but one of the highlights of a thing we, it was, a, I think it was a 300 lap race at Lee for the stock car connection. And we were pitted next to, I think it was Bob Seneca. I think it was Seneca that we were pitted next to in, in the pit area. And we came in to do pit stops and we changed tires and fueled the car better than his team did. So that, that was, that was the highlight of that deal. Just a bunch of, you know, rednecks from a little town in Vermont, just going to have some fun and racing against those guys. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, we, you learned a lot. You, you learned, you learned how to race long races and, and that's, that's where we needed. That's what we had to learn how to do compared to racing the five or 35 lap races at home. You know, Dave Bibbins wasn't a, exactly a star on the tour. Um, no. a couple, couple of top tens, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what were your victories like back then? Cause you're racing, you know, everybody's five laps down to Russ Erlin. You know, yeah. Right? And, and, and Junior Hanley and all, and and all those guys. And, yeah. yeah right. You know, the highlight of that deal we went to it was the 300 at, at beach ridge and we don't you know we we can't we didn't know how to fuel cars and you know and do it correct you know do it fast and all that stuff so we we were playing the fuel mileage game we figured out fuel mileage the best as we could and we figured we could go 296 laps on fuel at beach ridge. so i told david i said anytime after lap 10 pit <laughs> and, we're, and we're and we're just we're gonna top it off and and we're just gonna go and I think it was either Buzzy Bazanson or Paul Richardson did the same strategy and they it, we pitted at the same time it was like 10 15 8 you know real real early and um unfortunately you know David got we were we were back up to like we were up to like fourth or fifth through pit stops with about 18 to go and David ended up getting in a skirmish and we didn't finish but with that being said I don't remember if it was Buzzy or, or Paul Richardson they either won on that strategy or finished second on that strategy so that that was that was kind of our our highlight per se that is pretty cool yeah do you think you learn more or maybe better put are more creative when you're part of an underdog team. Yeah. Cause you, 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 you gotta, you gotta throw shit, shit against the wall and see what sticks because we, we like Justin said, we weren't going to race with junior. We weren't going to race with Russ Owen. We weren't going to race with Robbie. We, you know, on a, on a solid, solid night, we finished tap, man. We were on top of the world. Okay. Uh, so, so it gave you the chance because no, nobody expected anything, you know, per se, you know. So we we just went and had fun, and and if if we could short pit, do you know, just do all that crazy stuff that you have to, you know, if you were really competing for the win per se, you would you wouldn't do, you know. But that gave us the opportunity to do stuff like that, and we had a lot of fun learning a lot for sure. So what'd you do after that? I mean, you said you raced for a year in 82. Yeah. So yeah, nothing uh, in 82. Then I, I stopped as my, you know, my kid was playing baseball and football and, and, and all that stuff. So, you know, that's why I went to work with David. Then in, when David stopped racing ACT, he bought another pro stop to race locally. And he did that for a little while. And then I wasn't working on the car. He didn't have any help. And the car just kind of sat and sat and sat. So I don't know, 90. 190 I said hey 
let me run the, run the car. So anyway, long story short, him and I put a deal together where I went and got his car, freshened the motor, and, and ran that for, for probably a year and a half and uh, got my feet wet racing pro stocks myself driving. I didn't have any success to speak of, maybe a couple top tens, but I had absolutely zero money and, and shouldn't have been racing that style of car at that time anyways. Um, so I did that for like a year and a half. And, and then um, Nathan, I, I got to know Nathan Kelly. I got to, got to know Nathan. And uh, in 96, we bought, we built a street stop. And we started racing street stops. And we raced... Oh God, all over the place. I mean, there was a couple summers we were running 50, 55 races a year. Oh we were ra- yeah, we were racing at that time Manadnock was still racing on Fridays. So we raced Manadnock on Friday, Claremont on set- Saturday. And at that time, Dana Patton was running Canaan. He he was running the track for Charlie at that time on Sunday. So we'd race Friday, Saturday, and Sunday every week. And um and then whatever, you know, there were some special shows on top, but you know midweek stuff here and there and stuff like that. So we did that for, I don't know, two or three years. Yeah, two or three years. And then uh, we bought a pro stock, did some local stuff with that. And then, um, God, I'm getting my time frame. We'll lead, we'll lead you through the time frame. We, we do the okay. research here. Yeah. Okay. All right. We know you better than you don't. Yeah, that's you. good. That's yeah. good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I loved Canaan so much, and Claremont's such a weird track to drive, and it's so much fun. And Monadnock is this little fishbowl. So you're having the time of your life, I assume, right? And you guys are winning races, too. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. When we were doing the street stop stuff, we were both making probably $6 an hour at that time. And so we every right. nickel we had, we put into it. But racing that car three nights a week, the car paid for itself. Once the car was built, we didn't, you know, we didn't really take any money out of our pocket per se at all because the car, the car took care of itself. People would probably shake their head at that today, right? Yeah, it's impossible to do now. As much as I would, a, I don't think anybody has to drive to race like that anymore. Not on the asphalt, on the dirt. I mean, the dirt guys do it all the time, but man, trying to get asphalt guys to race two or three nights in a row now. Holy cow. A, financially, they couldn't afford to do it now because times are so, di- are so different. Tires are, you know, tire bills and, and so forth and so on like that. Three, maybe four nights a week while working. How's how's family life going at that point? Because oh, <laughs> you said, oh, I want to step back. I had my son. And next thing you know, yeah. you're you know, three, four nights well, a week. Well, he was getting at, at the age now where he, he spent as much time in the shop my son spent as much time in the shop with us as what I did. You know, every every night he was in the shop. So so that that took the curse off on at home because he because he was really into it. Of course, I ruined him. He's still a race car junkie today. You know, um, that's all he's ever done is race cars. Um, but yeah, no. So that that took the, the curse off of the home life for sure because my son was one hundred percent invested in it for sure. Yeah, and he still is very much. Still so, is right? now. Yeah. 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 Did, did he ever drive or have any ambition to drive, or is he just no, a hands-on he, guy? He, he always said he wanted to, and I had a deal. I said, I'm not paying for the whole car myself. I said, I will match you dollar for dollar. And that's as far as the conversations ever went. Yeah. <laughs> so he just, yeah. he, he just kept working working on my stuff and, and, and so forth and so on. You know, and then 
I don't know. We took a break for a while. See, he graduated high school in 2000. Yeah, because the day after he graduated high school, he, he packed up his car and moved to Jersey and went to work for Bret Hart. And so that that year I didn't, you know, I, I guess Nathan and I we took a little bit of a break for a little bit. And uh, so I, I race chased and, and did shit like that. And then I got to know Brett and got to know those guys. And next thing you know, you know, when he was driving for the Madsen team, I started working with those guys. So, so I worked on their stuff for three years. Yeah, three, probably all three years, you know, do, doing most of the Super Dirt Series, driving back. And, you know, it's the craziest thing, you know, going to Canada, coming home, going to work, getting – Go to work the next morning. At the end of that day, that jumping your car, going back to Drummondville or Granby or wherever wherever you were going. I mean, there was one July that I think we did like twenty one races out of you know in the month in of July. July. In July, and I took no vacation time. I drove back and forth every day. Oh my god! And yeah. you're going to Weedsport, and you're going to yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah. get I get home at three o'clock in the morning. Get up, get up at six thirty or seven. Go to work. Leave at Four o'clock in the afternoon, get to the racetrack at seven thirty. Just do it all over again. But well, I would, I, I do it all over again today. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's times like that that you just never forget. It's, it's, just, it's, it's pretty. Again, one more thing that you can't get drivers to do today, or, or anybody really. I mean, the coolest thing when I was doing the dirt cars, uh, at my Michael went to work for my karate in George Hutting. He was, he was working full time for Mike. And for whatever reason, I was still working on Brett's stuff, and he was doing he was doing Parati stuff, and did a Super Dirt Week show at Brewerton. And at that time, they could have radios for the for the hundred lappers. So I was on the radio with Brett, and he was on the radio with Mike. And here we are, two guys from Vermont, up in the top row in the spotters area, bringing the super. Brett was uh, Mike was on the pole, and Brett was second, bringing bringing the race down to to start the race. Huh. So that, that, you know, there's just just little dumb shit like that 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 sticks out in your mind over you know all that stuff, you know. And then when uh, Brett got done driving for Madsen, they hired Stuart Friesen. Yeah. So I got a chance to work with Stuart for God two years. Oh, but yeah, all of two years, maybe three, two or three years. And then and then we went back and we went back pro stock racing and hard. At- any point kind of during this stretch do you think in your mind that maybe promotion is somewhere in your future i started thinking about that um i'm gonna say mid to late 2000s um i did a little bit of tech work for the for uh, the owners of, of Carmont Speedway at that time. I went and did did Nathan and I actually both listed. We went and did tech for a year. Um, so that got my feet wet in into that kind of you know that side of the sport. And then just kind of jumping around a little bit. When Dennis Fleury bought bought the racetrack, Justin, when was that? I don't even know when Dennis bought the racetrack. Uh, I raced there once in 2004 when he was running it and I, that might have been his first year okay so the first two years that dennis had to race track i race directed for him and that that got my juices flowing per se pretty solid about knowing what i wanted wanted to do when the driving side of it 
stopped and working on, you know, I still work on cars. I still enjoy doing it, but, but that got my thesis flowing as far as doing promotional type work and white stuff. Did that give you more excitement almost at that point than the driving itself? Yeah, it does because, you know, Justin knows the whole story when, when John Hoyt and I started talking about, you know, doing the Grand Estate deal. I talked to Dennis and, and we were able to lease the Speedway to do a one-off event to start the Grand Estate series. And it was, I'm not going to say it was ultra successful, but it was very successful. And that that just put me over the edge knowing that's what I wanted to do in motorsports was like that. I obviously, you know, we're going to spend some time talking about the Granite State Series. Sure. Um, you did do some racing before that, and then, of course, that led into the creation of of the tour. Yeah. Um, with you not only as the president, but also as a driver. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm genuinely asking because I don't know the answer. Okay. Were you disenfranchised with something? As a driver, what what at was the, the at, why at, did you start the series? Because you at, were successful at Monadnock during that. Yeah, time. at that point in time, there was no weekly pro stock racing around in, in our market area anymore. They weren't racing at Lee week. Uh, they were still racing at Lee weekly, but the program wasn't wasn't. I'm not gonna say it wasn't successful, but it wasn't what we wanted to do. Okay. No weekly pro stock to start. The only place in New England that had weekly pro stocks at that time was Seacom. Uh, Thompson was was doing what Thompson does. They, they, you know, one week they, you know, one month they were, then they weren't. It, you know, it was kind of bounced around. And Larry, at that point, at Manadnock had put his his uh, eggs back in the modified basket. So the pro stocks were, you know, we ran the last couple of years at Manadnock with six or seven cars trying to make, it, and, it, it, and yeah. it just wasn't working. So that's that's why we decided to do a one-off type race to see this to see how much interest there was and uh, that that's why we did that is there it, there was enough guys that still had cars that still wanted to race and why it wasn't successful at that time at the at the local speedways weekly i mean there's multiple reasons you know and i you know whether it was tech enforcement you know race you know what whatever it was it just it just wasn't working on, for a regular basis uh, the, the teams weren't getting paid anywhere near enough, and then none of them still get paid anywhere near enough. But I mean, that that's that's a nature of our sport. But it was just a, it was a case of enough people still having cars and still wanting to race, having no place to race them. So that's that's why we we figured we'd do the one off deal in 2011 and see what kind of support and what we had to offer and what we'd have to build on. I almost think you came. Were you, were you the other? I was there. Yeah. I'm going to say, I was, I, I was thinking that you were, I think, you know, we didn't have 30 cars, but I think we had 18, you know, 18 or 19, 17. I don't know what I think was. you were North of 20, to be honest. Yeah, with you. I, I don't, I don't remember, but, but that, the, excite, that, the excitement that night, it was something new and there was a buzz and Claremont was not doing well at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it just felt like somebody's trying to put some effort in here. Yeah, and and that showed us there was enough interest to try to continue forward. So, in 2012, with Bob, I, let's see, we did six races our first year. We did two at Star with Bob Weber. We did two at Manadnock with Larry. 
And I think we did two at Claremont. I, I don't remember. I'd have to go back. But, but that, that, that got us off the ground with that. And it was, it, it was successful. And it's just been an up and down run. I mean, every year is, you know, we've gotten through every year, some years better than others. And, and uh, it, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard road to hoe for sure. Justin mentioned you were El Presidente while also still driving. Yeah. And we talked about this, I believe, with uh, Joey LaCare. And he talked mm-hmm. about no matter what you do, if you're owning a track and you have a car, even if you're not driving it, he had one in the late models that he owned that he had someone else drive, you're always going to catch crap. I was very fortunate. Okay, so... The staff that we were able to assemble for the Granite State Series worked. That was the only reason it worked. I mean, there was times they threw me out just like anybody else. I mean, I was I was yes, no different. Yep. And and it it worked. And it, the only reason it I mean, was it ideal? No, because because on race night there was a lot of things I should have been doing. Not so much running the program, but dealing with, dealing with the, the track operator and, you know, the business side of the things. But at that time, I wasn't ready to do that. I was still I was still fully invested in driving. So we did that for three or four years uh, of competing and owning owning the series. And then uh, it, got, it, it just got to me. I, you know, and I, I knew once... There's other there's things that I could I could do better if I wasn't in the driver's seat on race night. So I finally made the decision that was it was time to uh car up on Jack Stands. Did you underestimate how much was gonna be on the business side, or did you think you kind of knew what you were getting into? Oh, I had no idea what I was getting into. I mean, I'll be I'll be very honest. I had I, I just thought, oh shit, we can just go to the racetrack. Check, go home, send a few checks out, and and be good. Uh, it's it's as as you guys know, and as I know now, it's 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 a full time job. I mean, it, you know, you can put as many hours in during the week. There's always something that you can be doing. And uh, and once I stop stop competing myself, I found myself doing way more of the stuff that realistically I should have been doing right from the get go. I do remember that first night and you running the pit meeting in your driver's suit. And I thought to myself, this is odd. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, I think that was the only time I ever did that. I, I, yeah. Other than that, I, I you know, that was. Yeah. Well, and and necessity is the mother of invention, right? I mean, you're, yeah. you're, it's your first event and everybody's kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah. Um, and you looked nervous as hell. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, absolutely. Not, not only was I nervous about the event. It was 100. I didn't have any money at that time. I, yeah, you know, right. I took every nickel I had to lease the speedway and I was responsible for everything. You know, yeah, I was, uh, my ass cheeks were puckered. I'll be very honest. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> uh, but it went well, Mike. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a good night. Yeah. You know, and, and, and fortunately, you know, whenever we've done anything like that, knock on wood, it's, it's, it's always, it's always worked. You, you mentioned your staff, um, and you mentioned John Boy. Um, John Hoyt was one of my favorite people in racing, and one of your favorite people in your life. Um, Absolutely. You know, let's let's dive into to John Boy a little bit because a lot of people over in Thunder Road land won't know him. Um, certainly not on the dirt either. But right. uh, he was he was the balls. Yeah, John. John and I 
both lived in Claremont. Well, he lived in Claremont. I lived in Charlestown, but, but we were friends. We, we go out and, and you just spend a lot of time together. And he was working for Jack Bateman on the MRS series. And he was you know, race director, jack of all trades, whatever needs to be done. John, John boy was the guy. And John and I would always be hanging out and it was, it was his idea to this whole Granite State thing. It, it all came from him. And uh, he said, we ought to start a pro stock. And you, just, uh, the logo actually had the MRS logo in it for a it while. It did, yes. It? Yeah, yeah, because Jack, well, Jack was involved for the first couple of years because John was still working full time for Jack. John was working. For that, that's where the MRS logo came from in that because Jack was involved out of the gate uh, before John Boy passed away. You know, and uh, so we, we did that one off race and unfortunately John passed away and never got to see where where it went uh yeah if john if john wasn't there pushing me to do it if it it, it ne- probably never would happen yeah he was a great guy man still yeah. still very much missed absolutely yeah so i found with justin and i even doing this podcast working at 51 the first couple of years with joey it can be easy to kind of get people excited in the early stages because Mm -hmm. it's something new. It's something fresh. The key is getting everybody to maintain excitement and keep coming back over time. What was kind of your plan to have sustained success as opposed to, you know, a flash in the pan? Uh, that's a great question because I um, realistically I probably didn't have a plan. Uh, if if I had a plan whatsoever, it was stability in the race program, stability in the way the rules were enforced, and just trying to give the guys a place to race that they could come to and know they were going to be treated fairly on the tech side and be treated fairly on the racetrack. That's that's the only thing, you know. It's it not a case where we had a unlimited checkbook or whatever to to keep paying more and more and more because the guys that race Granite State race for way less than they do at other places that race our type of cars, and and that's we try to control costs with 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 tires, and we just try to do everything we can to to keep the cost as as inexpensive as possible on race day from limiting practice, from limiting tires, not allowing practice tires. And, um, that, that, that's, that's what we try. That's what we try to do. We have had something to try to keep everybody enticed and looking forward to coming back. It's, it's hopefully the cost effectiveness of our program so they can continue to race because God knows these cars are way too expensive. You know, you're talking, Sixty seventy five thousand dollar race cars now and there, you know, in our series they're racing from anywhere from two to four thousand dollars to win, and anywhere from two hundred to four hundred dollars to start. So um, they're not doing it for the money. There's yeah, yeah. no question about that. Yeah. Uh, but if you can, can if you can control the 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 race day expense to the best of your ability, that's that's where I think we do a pretty pretty good job at that. As far as the asphalt side goes, because um, the asphalt stuff is just really, really expensive to race on a, on any type of a regular basis. Yeah, 
I find it very odd that a pro stock and a brand new Chrysler Pacifica are that close in price. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> well, you know, you know, when you, we, well, we'll get into this, I'm sure when we talk about Claremont, but I mean, I got, I have guys down here spending $35,000 on street stocks. Yeah. But that's what they call, when you go to build it, that's what it costs. Yeah. I mean, you know, so you can't control the cost of the car. Unfortunately, there's very, very few people that build anything for themselves anymore. And I'm, you know, the dirt car, the dirt mods, and none of the modified guys build anything themselves. I don't believe, not that I'm aware of. You know, maybe some of the maybe some of the street stock and renegade guys or whatever divisions are called. Some of those guys are still building their building their own stuff. But on the asphalt side, when you start building street stocks up through. The street stock stuff now on on that side, probably half of them are, are store ball cars now, and it's getting more and more and more every year. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, Bick now builds two hundred and fifty race cars a year. Yeah. You know. <laughs> a year, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so to follow up on Tom's question and your answer about having or not having a model for success and. I guess, sustainability. Did you, was it a, a well thought out plan that by the way, we're competing against pass for the same race cars. Um, uh, and, and I know that you're, you're not going after Johnny Clark, but no, you're, see, but I, you're going never, after the guys running 15th. Maybe. Yeah. I, I never looked at it as a, how I looked at it when we started the series, we were the modified racing series. And they and and they were yeah. the whale modified tour. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly how we looked at it. Because the guys from Southern New England, they're not going to Oxford, and they weren't going to Beechridge. Their cars were sitting. And as time went on, you know, and our series grew a little bit, we were able to pay a little bit more money, and the the weekly uh, weekly cost was way less than it was to race a pro all star series race. That's when we that's when we started attracting. Some of the the, the past teams, yeah, now, def- it definitely wasn't a case where all right, we're going out after yeah. after the past cars because that definitely was not and still not. It's right. still not our our business model at all. Well, it'd be insane to do that. Oh, right. you know, I raced for Tom for two for two, for two years. The first year of past, we did Nathan and I did all all all, all the races. The first, I think, the first two years we we raced past, and we. Uh, we knew we were way out of our budget, budget wise, and and there's a whole bunch of guys like us that you know, really don't want to do weekly racing. Don't they don't want to race 20, 20 weekly events? They want to race you know seven to twelve times a year, and and that's what we were trying to, or still trying to do, give give those guys a place to do that. But naturally, do you get competitive? Because one, there's nothing wrong with that, and we've talked about it with guys on this show on the basketball show with coaches. Like, it's great having an intense rivalry, and it doesn't mean there's bad blood. It Hell, we do it with other podcasts. Right. I, was gonna, <laughs> I mean, we we will give shout-outs and love to other racing podcasts, but I still want to have more listeners, and if they get a guest that we'd like before we got them, I'm pissed. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a that's a. I'm trying to answer this the, the best way I can. 
I try, we try not to be that competitive per se, because it doesn't do the competitor any good. If, if we're, if, if our goal, if our goal is to be competitive with PATS or competitive with ACT, we're not paying attention to what our teams need. We're, we're paying attention to what those guys are doing or what ACT is doing or what PASS is doing. And, and to be brutally honest, I don't care what they're doing. Yeah. I have, we have to care about what we're doing and take care of our own house and then it takes care of itself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. But can you still appreciate and take things away from other places in other series? Can you see something that's working for someone oh, else? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm still a race fan. I can go to a dirt, dirt track. You know, when I was running Carmel, I can go, I can go to Bradford. I can go to Devil's Bowl. I can go to Lebanon Valley and the, and, and always picked up something from a program somewhere else that I could, I could institute either into the Granite State series or into the weekly program. Sure. Absolutely. You know, you always, you always, well, you should always have your eyes open to, and, and a way to better your product for sure. I mean, it was, it was a given that you were going to come up and bug me in the tower during a show one night a year. At oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. I look forward to it, you know, yeah. and I knew exactly what you're doing, which is exactly what you should be doing, yeah, which every just, promoter should be doing. Yeah. Just, you know, but whether it's, it's going to the concession stand and see if they got something different or, or I have found out over the past couple of years that, you know, after running Firebot for three years, I'm not a good race fan anymore. I get, I get really agitated very easily. Yeah. Uh, when, when I see stuff, and it's not everywhere, but you know, and, and, and God knows I had nights like that at Quarmont too, where something doesn't go right. And, and it's just, it, it gets aggravating, uh, but I'm getting better at it. I'm just, go to, I go to the beer stand and get another beer and sit down and chill. I, I write a lot of tweets that I don't send when I'm sitting in the grandstands. Oh yeah. No, exactly. That's, yeah. you know, that's <laughs> oh, just, okay. You know, yeah. and, and listen, every racetrack in the Northeast, probably in, in the country, none of us have an anywhere near enough help. None of us have, we probably all have people doing jobs that, I'm trying to word this right. We all have people doing jobs that they're doing, but it's probably not really the job they should be doing per se. Yeah. They should, they, there's definitely a spot for them. Uh, maybe we have them in a spot that, that that's not really suits them the best. That's the hand that we're dealt. And every racetrack's in the boat. I mean, from trying to find people to work in the concessions and, you know, I mean, all that, all that shit. It's, it, yep. It's, it's a never ending battle. If you've got a home project going on, your first stop should be Barry Tile and Morrison Clark Incorporated. From flooring to kitchens, from bathrooms to outdoor projects, from your home to your business, they are number one in Central Vermont. As you've heard on this show, Justin and I are officially middle-aged super dads now. And one of our favorite hobbies is looking at the Barry Tile Facebook page to see their latest projects. I love the carpeting and hardwood flooring, and he loves the kitchen countertops and shower installations. And it's true. Barry Tile has been family owned for 50 years and their experience shows in every single job. It's high quality work by highly qualified people who can design and install everything you need to upgrade your home or office. It's not a big chain store. It's local people with common sense and a ton of skill. 
Be like us and check out the Berry Tile Facebook page to see some examples of their incredible work. Or you can give them a call at 802-476-0912. You can also stop into the showroom at 889 South Berry Road in Berry, Vermont, and tell them that the guys from Uncommon Deeds sent you. It's almost here. Winter is coming, and at least one New England snowstorm is going to knock your power out. When that happens and you're in the dark, you'll be wishing that you had called Bushy's Generator Sales and Service. So don't wait. Bushy's has been recognized as the number one dealer of Briggs and Stratton home standby generators in the state of Vermont, and they're also a leading dealer of Kohler generators. From sales and installation to service and maintenance on all makes and models of generators from 10 kilowatts to 200, Bushy's is the only call you need to make. And hey, racers, you know how important it is to have small portable generators at the track, and Bushy's has you covered there too. After all, they're racers too, and they know what you're looking for. Check out their selection of Briggs and Stratton inverters and have the power where you need it when you need it. Wayne and Ben Bushy have more than a decade's experience in this business and Bushy's generator sales and service covers all of Vermont, New Hampshire, as well as Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. Give them a call at 802-591-1903 or visit their Facebook page or bushysgenerator.com. Bushy's generator sales and service of Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. We keep your power on. And now back to our show. So let's talk about Claremont. Mm -hmm. Um, Since we're going down that road, um, 2020 you took over yep and like i said you know the place there's something the last 20 years that it is just not what it had been right 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 i mean i grew up in in this area and claremont to this day is still a race town there is my god there is no question in my mind about that absolutely so i i let me tell you something i want to interrupt you and this is a shout out to our listeners we shipped more merchandise to Claremont, New Hampshire this year than any other town in New England. Oh, no kidding. That's awesome. I, and I'm telling you, we appreciate that support because Claremont is a race town and we don't even talk about Claremont most of the time. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, they're, they're diehard race fans. So how, how the whole Claremont thing came about. And I, I had leased Claremont off and on for three or four years for one off events for Grand State Race with the previous ownership. Then Norman and Ben bought it. And I had already had a verbal agreement with Jim Ambrose to lease it, and then he sold it. So they said, yeah, okay, go ahead and do it. So I leased it to do, I don't know, it was a fall race. I, I don't even really remember now. And it and it was it was successful. Yeah, and it was. A couple of weeks after that, I was sitting in the beer garden out of Manadnock having a beer watching the races, and, and Norman came up and said, hey, give me a call. So I, we, we shot the chip. So why don't you lease the place for the whole year? And I didn't began to think of anything like that at all at that point. So we, we went back and forth a little bit and and we came up with a program where it all worked and financially and and so that's how that came about. You know? Um I mean, are you shitting your pants all winter? <laughs> or? Uh yeah, because we opened up with COVID. Oh my God, that's right! Yeah, the, Holy the, crap! We we couldn't open. Hey, here I am. I, I got to pay yeah. my lease. Yeah, yeah. And and Ben and Norm, they were great through that. I mean, you know, we worked together. You know, because we were all in the same boat. Uh, but I remember trying to figure out what the Christ I'm going to do. You know, so um, I, I had the I, I'd see. I don't know. Maybe down south, some, somebody did a, ra- a pay per view race with no fans. And, 
so forth and so on. And I said, huh, I wonder if I can do that. So I called the local authorities and called the state. Um, and went back and forth and figured out what we do. Called Speed 51 and figured out how the whole pay-per-view thing worked. And and uh, said, sure, let's 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 try to open with no fans. So we did. We we opened up a Granite State, you know. So we had a pretty pretty big event yeah. out of the gate for yeah. for for no fans. And I remember I got I got phone calls from two or three promoters that had been promoting racetracks for a long time, wanting to know how this is going to work. I said, guys. I don't have any freaking idea how it's going to work. I mean, I'm just a dumb racer trying to get my racetrack open, and I'm throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks, to see what works. And fortunately for me, knock on wood, it worked very, very well. And we had a very financially successful opening night with no fans. And that allowed us to, I think for the next three weeks, we ran with no fans, but I wasn't able to race my late model division and, and or the modifieds and of course that didn't go over really well but they all got it you know there was no way that I, I could pay that kind of purse with no fans in the front right. game i could run my street stocks and the six shooters and you know the the inexpensive stuff and get through the night and 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 not lose any money per se you know and then you know once once the um Restrictions started lifting slower and slower. We're able to get the other guys on the track. So, uh, you know, here I am, just a uh, dumb racer doing this for the first time. And we get COVID for last half of the winter and Jesus. in like three quarters of the season dealing with all that shit, you know. So, but well, I, I, have, I laid out a five-year plan for Carmen. Was and, there trepidation in being kind of the guinea pig for everything? Because there's no one really for you to talk to. And at no, the same we, time, are other guys, as you're doing it, reaching out to you to figure out how you did it? Yeah. That, so that's to make exactly it easy it for was. them. That, that, I think I think Mike might have, Mike Bruno might have called you and asked how the yeah, hell you Ma did it. Yeah, yeah, Mike did. And there was a couple other guys that did too. And I said, listen, I, I don't know. I, I mean, but, you know, I knew I wasn't worried about car count because everybody was just absolutely chomping at the bit to go racing. And, I had talked to the city of Claremont and they said, well, you got to have so many feet between the car, you know, just all, all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, can I open my grandstands? No, you can't open the grandstands. I said, okay, but can I open my grandstands to the pit competitors? So they're not all huddled together on the fence. And they said, yeah, you can do that. So that was that was my yeah. my thing where okay all right and and listen the the city of Claremont was fantastic through that through that whole that whole thing and and I talked to the, the police chief after the first night that we did it and I said are you happy he said listen I'm not the mass police or anything like that you did everything we asked you to do you made announcements you had signage you couldn't do anything more you could and you can do. We said yes. I, we are very happy. So that's all that mattered. And, and you know, we had the city on our on our side. That's a hell of a debut. Yeah, there was. <laughs> believe it wasn't wasn't really the way we wanted to do it. But it, you know, looking back now, it's it's memories that that you'll always have for sure. Mm -hmm. Man, I mean, so you put in three years there, and from where I sit, it looked like it went pretty well, and it 
certainly had its bumps along the way, I'm sure. And you've got nights like every track has where there's shitty weather and no fans mm-hmm. and bad car counts. And then the mm-hmm. next week you've got 20 cars in every division. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say you absolutely, and we'll talk about the leaving part in a second, but you left it way better than you found it. But when we took it, they had 30 cars in their pit area on a weekly Total. basis. Total. Yeah. Uh, so my, my I laid out a business plan on my computer just for myself to, to gauge by as to what I wanted to do. And I knew we had to do some touring type stuff for, for the fan base. You know, some modified races, a pro stock race. And so we did that. And every time we did a big event, they were ultra successful. The big events were always ultra successful. Right out of the gate, all the big events were ultra successful. Uh, our weekly program, it, w- it was adequate. It, 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 we did we did make a lot, we did lose a lot. I mean, it was up and down. But what what we were running into, and, and I got to thank the competitors. I mean, because they all they, they all they all started. You know, at first they didn't get what we were trying to do, but they all they all understood, and they all worked their ass off with us to to get to where we were at the end of year three, and. Uh, I don't even know where, what thought train I was on. Uh, I mean, it was just well, it the just, trajectory was yeah, and, sloping and, upward. And, and like I told, I told those guys when we when we started, I said, guys, listen, it's it's all about stability. The problem that Speedway has had for the last twenty years is there's been no stability. There's been no stability in the rules, race procedures, race directors, staff, anything. It, it changed on a weekly. I'm not going to say a weekly basis but it changed on a regular basis. Every other that's year what, it was something different. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what we, we, we tried to do. You know, I can say the staff that we had there on opening night was the same staff in every single position as it was at the end of year three. So that's why that, that's why I talk up to the success that we had was we, we brought stability. You know, so the competitors knew what to expect from me calling the races. The competitors knew how the tech guys were teching and, you know, how they were. And it, it, the longer we went, the easier everything got. How much you mentioned kind of the big events were the bread and butter. How much of those were they important for the weekly stuff? You know, you look at college sports, college mm-hmm. football pays for, you know, volleyball and fencing sure. and water polo. Yeah. You, you hit it right on the nail. You, that's the nail on the head. That allowed us to do some of the things, some of the, you know, year four this year was the year in my plan that I was going to do a lot more for our weekly divisions. And we did some o- over the last couple of years. And, and I always ex- explained to the guys, listen, you know, because some of the guys would squat, well, you're giving all the money to the, the traveling teams in the series. I said, listen, you have to understand there's a reason for that. That's going to allow us to do the things for you guys that we were going, that, that that's coming your way in the future. You know, and that's what, what's really hard for me is you never got a chance to finish that. I mean, we had, this year we had a 50-lap street stock race on a Friday, just a regular weekly street stock race. 
It was going to be 50 laps. It was going to be 5,000 win and 300 to start. Come on. No, that's uh, that, that those bigger shows allowed us to do that. I had the race all sold. It, w- it was done. It was, it was a done deal. I mean, so the guys were starting to see what we were trying to do having the bigger events. And uh, unfortunately, we never got a chance to to finish what we what we started. But never say never. Maybe it'll happen again down the road. I don't know. That pissed me off just now. So okay, let's. <laughs> all right, let's dive into the last six weeks here. Then I mean, what the hell happened? Uh, I've been dealing dealing with them on, on getting our lease, and um, it, I was all yeah. We're all set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all set. And did the the race in November, the Turkey Day race that everybody said I was nuts nuts to do, but the last two years those were were absolutely home runs. One of the coolest events in New England. Yeah, and um, That's literally because it's twenty four degrees out. But anyway, yeah. and um, so Ben was there that day, and I said, "Hey, dude, I gotta go. To the, I gotta go to the city next week for, for my schedule. So I have my schedule all done. I need to go get approval so I can get started." And uh, he said, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, anything you need me to do? He said, well, come to the office. So I drove to Milford on, on that Monday, the Monday after our 50-day race. And uh, I got there and was told that they, they had entered into an agreement to sell the facility and it would not be renewing my lease. And at that point, what am I going to I mean, if they, if they were selling it, they were selling it. There's nothing I could do. You know, and yes, I was mad. But hindsight now, I'm it's I'm I'm done I'm I'm over it, you know. And I've come to the conclusion when you run that type of business on a lease, it can happen at any given day, you know. I and I've talked to a bunch of different promoters that that did exactly what I did, been through the same type scenarios where the lease weren't, weren't renewed, and uh, and and they've all said to a T that's just part of leasing a racetrack. Biggest mistake I, I did was not getting involved with ownership with Jim Ambrose when I had the opportunity. But I, I, I couldn't get myself to be that financially involved and have partners in that type of a business. In hindsight, now, biggest mistake I, I ever made. I mean, there's nothing I can do about that now. And all through that, is it kind of handshakes and gentlemen's agreement? For the most part, or are no, there no, lawyers we, we, lawyers we, we, involved? And no, 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 we had we had legitimate leases in place and and so forth and so on. So. Right, I mean, I did more so. You know, did you have lawyers trying to hammer things out, or were you handling your business yourself? Uh, no, I had the, 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 they. We had had lawyers write up leases. Had my lawyer read it. They, their lawyer read it, and, and you know, but listen, I have no ill feelings with Ben and Norm at all. Um, am I happy the way way things turned out? Of course not. But I have no ill feelings at, at all. I mean, I look at it like this. How how many people have the opportunity to run their hometown racetrack? And I, I'm just very fortunate I had the opportunity to do that for three years. And I, I feel, like, as Justin said, we left the place in 100% better shape, better condition. The, the grounds in better condition, the race programming in better condition car count in better condition than where we ever began, where ever was when we went there. So I feel we did our job there very, very well. 
you say you're not bitter and you're not, you know, pissed off or anything. Um, but then the news of, I don't know, was it yesterday or two days ago that they're not selling the track? I mean, does yeah, that, I, it is what it is. Uh, right. I mean, the damage is already done, right? Damage is done. It, it, it is what it is. Yeah. That's, you know, there's, so let me ask you this then. <laughs> Because you have the Granite State Pro Stock Series, mm-hmm. and Claremont is, for all intents and purposes, the home track. It, yeah, it won't be this year. But well, right, but what the yeah. hell do you do? You, I mean, do you just grin and bear it and take it every week that you show up, or? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know what I'm doing. With the uh, well, State I guess are you are you showing up? Are are you having events with NHS TRA, whatever the hell the acronym as of is right or? now? No, I have the Granite State Series has no NHS TRA. You're none of the tracks. No. Wow. No. Uh, right now, we're we're gonna hopefully release the schedule this weekend in Augusta. Uh, we got seven. Uh, looks like seven races at uh, Star Speedway ninety five, Groveton, and my ninety eight percent sure we're gonna go out to Lancaster around Buffalo. Wow. And that you know, it, you know, it's it's not ideal on the Granite State side. But we've been there before, and uh, we just put our head down and keep working. That's, I mean, what else do you do? Yeah, it's you know, yeah, that's yeah. that that's what we're you know that's that's the hand that we're dealt, and uh, either either we fold everything all up, which I am nowhere near ready to do that, or you just put your head down, and work harder, and and just go. So you have the audible and you have to, you know, change the play. How quickly did you have to start working on that when you realize, okay, this happened, not going there. Did you have time to kind of wallow? Well, I was already working on a Granite State schedule long before this, this happened. Uh, so I had a lot of, a lot of the, the races that we have. I had a lot of that stuff already in, in, in place. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, I, I was planning on a couple at Claremont, maybe one at Lee, one at one at Hudson, you know, to give us twelve or thirteen races for the season. But that's okay. I mean, we'll just put our head down and and if we end up with seven or eight races this year, that's what we end up with, and and uh, we'll just see, see where it goes. Just work. Well, see, now's the perfect time to have your first dirt race over at Devil's Pole, right? Yeah. Call I, Mike as soon as we're done here. Call Mike. He'll he'll give you a date. I guarantee it. I, I, I've had a couple competitors ask about racing on the dirt. We'll see. We just made a deal. Congratulations. Right, yeah. But right. but the problem is, you know, there's there's two sides to every story. Unless somebody's going to write us a big check, you know, or, you know, unless we could find a sponsor to do that, I, I couldn't expect Mike to write me a check for what it would cost these guys to go. Of course. Right. You know, so it would it, somebody would have to come on board and 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 do something like that. And and to be brutally honest, I don't know how many guys would really do it. Right, I know it's it's a silly dream. It's, yeah, you know, you know, that's right. you know, cup cars at Bristol, and you're you're at Devil's Ball. Right? Yeah, you know. Um. Okay, so how is how is the Granite State Pro Stock Series doing health wise? I mean, are you are you actually cool with just seven races were you really hoping for 13 races i mean my 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 goal last fall when i when i started putting this putting the granite state schedule together was eight to ten that that for the guys that race granite state 
that seems to be the right number. So we're, we're close. We're close to where, where we wanted to be. Does going to Bangor, Maine and going to Buffalo, New York um, help? Can't answer that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Bangor I, will be I will say, I love that you're going to Speedway 95. Yeah. That, Bangor- I just had the conversation a week or two ago that that track doesn't get enough love. Wiscasset doesn't get enough love. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad that yeah. there's. We, try, we tried to work with something with Richard and Vanessa at, at Wiscasset. And, and they are so committed to their weekly program. Yeah. And, I, and I get that. I, yeah. I, I fully understand that. And everything they do when it comes to pro stock or late model type racing is based off their weekly program. Yeah. And I totally understand that. So, I mean, never say never. I'd love, I'd love to go back to Wiscasset. We had a phenomenal race there. thousand, I don't know, four or five years ago on, on labor, on a labor day show, we had a great, great event. We had 32 cars show up. And it was just, it was just a really, really good event. So, uh, you know, when you talk about going to Lancaster, there's a lot of our type cars in Western New York. Not a lot, but if we can bring eight or ten, and they can bring eight or ten, we have twenty-four cars. You know, so um, we'll see. Do you feel almost like I said some more competitiveness going into this year now, in the sense of you? Oh, you it, know? It, it definitely a little fire under my ass for sure. Yeah, because sure. we, you know, we've talked to drivers. I've talked to coaches on No Fouls, available wherever you download podcasts, uh, about how shameless, just shameless, just shameless. shameless plug, yeah. uh, <laughs> but how you know, losing in a championship, uh, getting fired, losing the big game, can push someone even harder the next year. Yeah. So, so, and you're a hundred percent right because you know what I've done with my promotional company is I lease star. I, I call Bobby Weber and Bobby had some open weekends. So him and I put it together where I lease star to do our, our, the big open modified race that we've done at Quarmont over the past two or three years. But the racing wise, we're going to do a star. And that's a hundred percent MDP motorsports functional. Uh, lease Bangor to, to, to do the races on, on our own. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely lit a fire on my, under my ass to do, do that kind of stuff for sure. I was going to ask you that earlier in the conversation when we started talking about the formation of the Granite State Series. Are you leasing tracks? That's no. old school. No, I, I hadn't. I hadn't done. I hadn't done that other than just just the stuff I've done at Claremont. And uh, but on the backside of it now, knowing what I know and learning what I've learned the last three years. I am I am definitely more interested in doing stuff like that than I ever was in the past. Oh, I mean, Josh Veneta is doing very well with it. Yeah. Um, Tom Curley made his millions off of it. Uh, yep. Tom Mayberry has done a lot of it. Yeah. It's not a bad model. Uh, Greg McCarns over in the Midwest, sure. you know, is yep. one of the greatest promoters the country's ever seen, and that was yep. his business model. Yeah. I mean, I I never I never had to do it in, in the past. I, I was always we always sold our events for at a price point where a promoter and and that's that's my goal is to always have an event that a promoter can and financially afford to have and if he has a bad weather day he's not going to completely lose his ass you know uh, but if I want to grow the series I mean there's things that 
that I if, if I'm able to put a lease program together and lease the facility at at the you know at the at the right deal, then I can do some different things and 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 I'll, I'll probably do be doing more of that in the future for sure. Our fans would kill us if we didn't ask you why you're not at Thunder Road. Uh before Tom Curley passed away, we were ninety eight percent there. And then, then Tom got sick and, and, and so forth and so on. Um, I don't have a really good answer for you, Justin. Um, we always went to White Mountain. And when Chris bought White Mountain, White Mountain it, it, that wasn't an option anymore. He, he said we didn't fit what they were trying to do. And I get it. I mean, him and Tom have, have, a, have a business relationship with, with past and Pats goes to Thunder Road, and Pats goes to White Mountain. I, I understand all that. Uh, but listen, we would love to go to Thunder Road. We'd love to go back to White Mountain. If, if those opportunities ever ever presented themselves, we would do that in a heartbeat, for sure. Do you think that there's ever going to be a day where ACT and Granite State and Pass and Wiscasset and whatever, all the weekly tracks, Seekonk, everybody – has one big open comp show somewhere and everybody's got all kinds of different race cars and there's a hundred of them that show up and everybody's on one tire and one carburetor and they all weigh the same. Do you think that could ever happen? No. As much as that, I would love, I don't, I don't, I mean, you're talking about running ACT pass, Granite state, everybody all together. Yeah. One division. You could do, you were at the right facility. You could you could do it at Groveton. Whoa! You could you could do wow. it just just because the six hundred two and the six hundred three can be competitive there yeah. with the six hundred fours. Yeah, you, you'd have to be very very careful as to where you did it because I've had I've had uh, six hundred three cars win at, at Groveton. ACT cars have won pass races. Yeah, it, it, it just has it has to be at the right place. Could you do it at Thompson? No. No. Yeah. Could, could you could you do it at Stafford? No. Could you do it at Waterford? No. Vermont? No. Manando? No. I don't think you could do it at Star. I don't think you could do it at White Mountain. Maybe Thunder Road? Maybe? I the don't know. The idea of a big race at Groveton sounds amazing to me. You know? Uh-huh. Uh, Tom's, we're, we're, Tom's got the gooseies. I see him over there. <laughs> listen, our guys love Groveton. I mean, Mike does. He's done such a good job up there. I mean, the, and jo- Joey put so, put so much time and effort into the place. The it, it's not a little shithole. It's it's no. a nice, nice little racetrack. The pits are are, are really nice. That the you know he put his beer garden in and his beer area in. The grandstands are nice. Now we're going up there twice this year with Grand Estate. So I mean, you know, uh, I'd love to do a big race up there. And Mike and I have talked about doing a, doing a, a bigger event up there. You know, uh, the place is really racy. We had a phenomenal event up there last year where uh, DJ and Gabe, no, it's DJ, no, yeah. it's Joey and, was it Joey and DJ? Jo- Joey and DJ. Yeah. And it was like a bumper at the, at the finish. It was just, you know, the, the racing was awesome. And to kind of build off Justin's question, and you're saying it's possible, technically speaking, I guess the real question would be, could everybody check egos at the door to actually make it happen? That was my real question. 
Oh, okay. All right. So I understand where you're coming from now. Um, I could. I'd do it in a heartbeat. I mean, I can't, I can't speak for anybody else, but I, I would absolutely be on board and willing to try to do Listen, I, I look at our Granny State cars as pro late models, okay? Mm, yeah. Um, I don't look at them as super late models. No more than I look at a pass car now as a super late model because they're all crate motors. Yep, that's right. Okay? Um, if we have a problem in our style of racing, it's the rules packages. If And I'm in the process of addressing that. There needs to be a, a national pro late model set of rules where we're the same as cars, we're the same as the CRA pro lates, we're the same, where everybody's the same. So then if somebody has a $20,000 to one pro late race, you want to go, you just pack your shit. It's like the dirt cars. Yep. You know, you can just go. Yep. Uh, our, our Pro late stuff is is it's getting there. It, it's closer now than it's ever been, uh, but it's still not a hundred percent. There's still some different motor packages and different different versions of crates and all that stuff. So uh, that's that's where asphalt racing as pro late model type motors. We need to have our shit together and and have some vision and not worry about today. Let's worry about three years down the road and just have some vision and, and build for the future. Um, so much to unpack in this thing, man. Um, when you started at Claremont in 2011 and Chris Wilk is winning, you know, and he's such a wild ass and there's, it's kind of a collection of misfits at that yes. race. Right. Yep. And now you have Joey pole as a champion and you have Joey DeWiron and you have DJ Shaw competing with you a lot and Ben Rowe mm-hmm. and, I mean, and Derek Griffith, you know, that's the first check mark on his career yeah. is that he was a champion on your tour. Yeah. And now he's racing at Martinsville, you know, and he's yeah. racing at Daytona. And I mean, have you had a chance or do you even care to do something like this midstream and look back and, and be like, damn, we have done something here? Yeah, I've looked back and and, and see see the the teams that have raced for us and just like you said you know Derek went in his first championship with us and and Joy Paul went in a championship and Joy Dwyer went in two and and DJ went in one and 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 Gabe my god Gabe yeah of course yeah Gabe. yeah and and it's just it, it's it's pretty satisfying to, to to see that it really is and uh you know we just I, I try not to look at the past per se because tomorrow's a whole nother day. And if we don't have our shit together, we won't be here tomorrow. So, you know, but it, it is pretty cool to look back. And every year when I, when I go through and, and, and do the paperwork, I look at the number of teams. I mean, there was one year we had 102 different teams race. And that's, that's pretty, to me, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, you know, um, asphalt racing is so different than dirt because the guys, there's very few of them that want to race every single race now. You know, you, if, if you look at ACT, I don't know how many Chris had, but, but I bet you, I bet you it's five. not five. Yeah, maybe five, and Pass had three. Yeah, and, and I think we had four at, yeah. that race all the events, and I don't know why that is. I, I, I can't, I can't figure that out. Why, especially when you have like last year, we had nine races. 
and we had four teams race all nine. So do guys not care about points anymore? I don't know. I I, I don't know what what the whole answer is. I mean, I get it. If you have a 20, 22, 23 race season, okay, that that I I understand. But if you have a nine to twelve race season and your guys are only racing, you know, if if eighty percent of your teams are are aren't aren't racing the whole series. I'm not going to say something's wrong, but I, I, you, I have to look at it and figure out why. Well, is it too many races? Are the racetracks not right? What, what is? What do we have to do to get you to, to race more? All right. Uh, I know our, our teams now with with the cost of tires and and everything. It's. I bet you with travel and everything. Minimum. Fifteen hundred bucks to go through the game. You know, so unfortunately, if you're, not, if you're not second, you're losing money. You're losing money, and if you finish, and if you make, if you finish eighteenth and get a check for three hundred, and you do that three weeks in a row or three events in a row, I get it. I mean, yeah, that's you know, but unfortunately, on the pavement side, the the tire bill is is the you know, I I, I don't know. I've been out of the dirt stuff for so long, but I remember when I was working with my Brett, we were racing at Malta on Friday nights. We we won seven races with the same right rear tire. You you know, yeah, I tell that the guys on the pavement. They look at me like I have three heads. What do you mean? Yeah, because Henry Tremont won his last championship at Devil's Bowl on one right rear. Yeah, Yeah. I, I I mean, so that that's that definitely is. Is is a part of it. I have, you know, you know where I where I'm located. I have this conversation. Well, how come Devil's Bowl has all these cars and Malta has all these cars? And I said, guys, the cost of cars, the cost, their car costs just as much as your car costs when you build it. Okay, but it doesn't cost them anywhere near as much to race it week to week. Period. It just doesn't. So, I know that I have given you a lot of shit over the years about putting clay on Claremont. Mm-hmm. But was it, and I know that you're also bound by a lease, um, but but was it ever a serious thought like, hey, this could be something? If Cannon's I owned gone, it? Huh? If, if, if I ever had the opportunity to own that, I would, I, I'm not going to say I would do it in a heartbeat, but I would absolutely would have considered the, the, the option of doing that for sure. Yeah. A- absolutely. You think it'd work? Um. You'd struggle for two or three years, but yes, long term sure. it, and, and long, long term it would. Yep, yep. long term it would. Unity's going to struggle for a couple of years too, but yeah, yeah, every, long, long, long term it would. Uh, the the local guys that race there right now, that every listen, God love all of them. I, I thank them all for their support for the last three years, but they would all bitch and piss and moan out of the gate. But as time went. It, it, it definitely would work. I mean, the hard part would be finding the right night to race. You know, I don't know, you know, with, with the guys at Romney now racing on Fridays and, and Mike racing on Saturdays and, and Butch racing on Saturday. So, I mean, but that's, that's, I think, yeah, abs- it, it absolutely, it absolutely could. I mean, if you ran 602 cars there on Friday night on dirt. Mm-hmm. I think you'd have to, I think you'd have 24 right out of the gate. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. It'd be a different 24. It would be a different group of competitors. 
for for three years until you, until the local guys decided that they wanted to give it a try. You know, Timmy yeah. Leduc was always you know because he came over and ran our dirt series and every 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 time, hey, I got all kinds of clay on my farm. Just tell me and I'll start. We'll start hauling. <laughs> Oh man! And I always tell them to shut up. Don't get that rumor started. Jesus! No, we did that for you. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, uh, but no, I, I, you know, if I, if I own the facility, that's that's something that I'm not going to say it would definitely it definitely would have happened, but it definitely would have been entertained for sure. Before we uh, kind of get into quick hitters, and I feel like we probably glazed a little bit over the actual driving career as we were mm-hmm. kind of getting to this portion, what are a couple of the wins that stand out in your mind that, you know, you'll talk to the grandkids about someday? The JBH 101 at Monadnock. That, that's, that's the one that means to me. That, that, that one actually, yeah, that, that by far, that, that, that's the one that stands out to me. Um, first time I won in the street stock at Monadnock, um, and and one in a Claremont too. I mean, the, 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 if I had one win that that really stands out, would be the JBH one. Was it hard for you to get through that? Yeah, it was. And, John's, and da- John's daughter those, was there, and, right? And for those who yeah. don't know, JBH John Hoyt. That's yeah. who we were speaking about earlier. Yeah. Yep that 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 was that was that was a little little rough. But without without John, none, none of this none of none of this would. Be. I mean, that's, I I tell that any money anytime we have this conversation with anybody, it's one hundred percent is on John. I mean, John's the one that got me fired up and so forth and so on. So. That happened to be your only win with your with the Granite State tour. Yeah, we had a bunch of bunch of seconds and yeah. thirds and stuff like that, but 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 that was the only one. Yeah. So like, how much more storybook could that get? Right. I mean, it's it's one of the most incredible stories that has been written in in many years in New England racing. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, we had we probably should have won it the year before, uh, but Barry Barry ended up winning. I ended up second. We raced side by side for twenty laps at the end of the race, and and you know, but. Yeah, that one. That one was not going to get away. That's yeah. That if, like you said, if there was a storybook ending to my driving career, that that was it for sure. You know, so and then there there was a couple. You know, there was one one race of star that Derek Griffith and I. I don't know. Battled the, the restarts with two or three to go, and uh, Derek ended up winning. I ended up second. I had I I I kind of jumped the restart a little bit. We got, got a jump on the restart. And then uh, who drives to Mark Brackett? Uh, he won our championship. Oh, Dylan Maltz. Dylan. Yeah, Dylan was third. And he kind of threw it underneath both of us going into three and washed me up into Derek. And so we all had to lift. And then Derek go back by and come into the white. But that's, there, there was, and there were some seconds and thirds with Joey Pohl and, and uh, you know, with those guys. So, yeah, we, but the, but uh, for sure, the JDA trace up at Adnock is by far. <laughs> um, you talking about jumping a restart makes me think how is it when you get disciplined like what's that conversation like when you're in trouble and one uh, of your just, officials I, has I just, to scold I, you no I, I it didn't bother me in the least because they were doing their job it, 
and, and they had no problem doing it. There was one one race at Star. I was following Dylan. Dylan, we we're like fourth and fifth, and coming out of turn two, he just honest, honest to God, he just spun. He he jumped on the gas, and the car came out from underneath him. And I keyed the radio to Nathan. I said, "Dude, he just spun out all by himself." And then I was coming back around, and next thing you know, they're putting me to the back, and I went full this inside the car. I was I was just going nuts. <laughs> and Jen Reddy and I, she was in the tower that night, and uh, Jen and I had a very heated discussion at the end of the night. And she called me on Monday. She says, "I watched the video." I said, "Yeah, what'd you see?" Exactly what you said. I'm sorry, Jen. The only thing I can tell you is you can't make a make a call. And I tell anybody that's race race direct for me or, or or ask, you can't make a call on what you think you saw. You have to see the whole thing. Yeah. But you know, when you say they believe me, they had no problems discipline and I was treated just like anybody else and 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 that's and I've had that conversation with them. I said, actually, I probably got disciplined more than anybody. Be very honest, and that's the way it had to be. Yeah, yeah. Were, were you a driver in that conversation, or were you an official in that conversation? Which one? The one with Jen. After you well, did, didn't. I, no, I, 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 that's when when they put me to the back at Star. I understand that. I'm saying when you're arguing, are you are you no, this pissed is, this off was, as a driver, or are no, you saying do your job better? No, that this this was this was Monday. She called me, and I was talking to her as a driver. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and, and, you know. And then she called me. I think she called me the other day. She said, "Not nah. all right." So, and then then we had the <laughs> the, the business side of the conversation. <laughs> and she's wonderful, by the way. She uh, is. Amazing. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Time for our Barry Tile quick hitters, and then we'll let you go. First up, if 2023 Mike Parks had 30 seconds to talk to 2011 Mike Parks, what would you say to him? Oh, God. I would, I would say... Thank you for jumping into this promoting side of the business because I really enjoyed it. Right on. That's a, that's a good answer. Yeah. Um, if you listen to the show, you know my question. What's the dumbest thing you ever did in a race car? It is not a, a stupid, dumb moment that really sticks out. I, I, I can't I, – honestly, Justin, I can't think of anything – you know, I've done a lot of stupid shit, but I can't think of, I can't I can't think of it, of anything that really sticks out where it was just really stupid to do on the racetrack. Mark? Well, what's the dumbest thing you ever did as a promoter? Yeah, hey, there we go. Last year at 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 Claremont, um it was during a late model race and it got really foggy. I mean, and I'd never seen fog like that at Claremont. And on a restart, two competitors got together. One of them got a flat tire. So I threw the caution. Both the competitor with the flat went to the pit. And I had four or five of the crew guys go over to my official, the chip. Actually, chip was on top of turn three. And all bitching that they couldn't see. And for whatever dumb reason, the guy had the flat. I told him to change his tire and give him the spot back. Dumbest thing I ever did, and at at, at at that point in time, I had multiple teams 
telling my officials that the drivers can't see on the racetrack. That's all foggy it was. And I did it. And after I did it, I said, what the Christ are you doing? Dumbest thing I ever did. And I apologized to my teams that the next that the next day we had we raced back to back. And you know, but that that that's the dumbest thing I've done as a race director, promoter. That's a good thing. one. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. It's you know, I listen, I if I do something dumb, I'll be the first, you know, I always tell the guys the drivers me, listen, I don't do anything right. And but if I do something wrong and I feel I did something wrong, I'll be the first one to tell you. So um, Tom has just informed me that I'm asking the third question this week. So I'm going to go back to, uh, a question that we asked Dylan Smith a bunch of years ago or a bunch of shows ago. Uh, are, are there aliens? Are there aliens? Yeah. Are we alone? <laughs> uh, no, there's no aliens. We're, we're alone. Really? Really? Okay. Yeah. No, there, no, no. All right. Nope. That works. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to, I just wanted to, you know, I grew up going to Devil's Bowl, you know, when the place was built in 67. And when I had the opportunity to bring Granite State to Devil's Bowl and get to race there, that was, that was, that's one of the cool, one of the cooler parts of my whole promotional thing is, is bringing, bringing Granite State to the track that, you know, when I was five years old, sitting in the grandstands week in and week out for, however many years it was to be able to bring those cars up there to race. I thought that was pretty cool. I loved that event. And um, I wish that <laughs> whatever reason people didn't show up to watch it. Yeah. And it really bothered me because it was a yeah. great race. Yeah. Um, yeah. Matt, Matt Fromm won that, right? Yeah. I think, I think Matt did. Yeah. yeah. And and Mike and I talked about that. When we, did it. we were throwing shit against the wall to see what worked. You know, we didn't we didn't know, and we didn't know if the fan base from from the Claremont market in this area if they would all come. Some did, but definitely not enough didn't come. To- well, I'll, I'll tell you why it didn't work because it was a Friday night. Oh, you know, it was a Friday night. Yeah, and it? you're you're trying to get people to travel after yeah. work. You know, yeah. two yeah. three hours. Yeah, that's you know, one of the, the things we did at Claremont. You know, the last two years, I've said, "Well, how come you're starting at seven thirty? I said, "Because we can." I said, "Our program's still done at ten thirty. Yeah, so we our program ran really good. I have to give people time to go home from work, get ready, do whatever they got to do, and come to the races. You know, that's a whole 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 other story. Is you know, look at the old ads where races started at eight o'clock. At eight o'clock on a Sunday. On a Sunday, yeah. where where does it say we have to start at five o'clock in the afternoon? Right. I mean, and to me, that doesn't make sense. I'm getting off on a tangent, but. When you're sitting at Claremont on that bank and the sun's beating down you at five o'clock in the afternoon, there ain't nobody going to come sit on that bank. No fun. Yep. So that's why. And I'm Devil's Bowl too. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. Yep. Yeah. I never did understand why CJ didn't put the, the grandstands on the backstretch. I, I could never, you know, I've asked myself that question 800 million times. I'm sure Mike has too. So, well, it's a trade off of the sunset, I guess. Right. You get to see the sunset when you're facing the direction you're facing. It's it's directly in your eyes, but and, you get to yeah, see it. and you and you bake for for an hour <laughs> yeah, as it's you, going you down, you know. But anyways, uh, man, um, you're over a barrel right now, and and we're we're pulling for you. Um, you know, oh, I ain't going anywhere. Done... We're we're we're, getting, we're oh, you know. I, know. I you're not going anywhere. I get that. Um, but this this next stretch might be a little rocky for you, and and I it, I know you'll no come out the other side of it. That. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll just put our put our head down, work a little harder, and do some things differently, and uh, we'll come out all right. 
No one likes seeing anybody get kicked in the nuts. Yeah, we'll just we'll yeah. just we'll just keep plugging away. We'll just keep plugging away. Well, you know, at, at some point, you know, maybe there's a dirt track I can go run or something. I don't. You, you never never say never. All right, we're all talking right. to you, Tim Leduc. You've got you've got connections. Get get him in a car. Yeah, <laughs> we'll put you in Wood's car for the night. Yeah, there you go. Uh, right. When it's all said and done everybody will realize what an asset you've been to the sport and uh congratulations on everything so far and, and kick some ass going forward man i appreciate that guys yeah. um, we'll stay in touch all right thanks for doing all the right. show thank you that was a fun episode justin and yeah a different one that we talked about in the beginning that's not necessarily down our normal road in terms of current events but it is something that is happening and I know something that you're and have been you've been very passionate about yeah for sure you know I mean I'm no longer employed at a racetrack um, but my heart is is definitely still involved in the game and I, I care about these guys I mean they're my friends Mike Parks would have been a good guest to have on the show whether or not he was going through all the shit right now um, you know, and he was, he's on our list that we've had since we started the show as a, as a potential guest, but it seemed like now kind of let him set the record straight and, and cheer him on a little bit publicly. You know, it's, um, he's done a lot of good for this sport. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of fun to dip our toe into the, the current water. What was the, the first one we ever did? It was like Brooks Clark, right? Yeah, probably. Like when he won the Labor Day race. That's about, yeah, pretty much is there. Chris Pelkey maybe was was there. It was a long time ago. Yeah, Chris Pelkey, sure. But yeah, Yeah. it's a little different, and it's something I don't think you need to count on us doing, you know, every week, every month, every six months. Who knows? But we've talked about it and continue to tell you that this will – evolve over time and we are jesus oh two years almost into this thing and you see it whether it was last week or you know july was more us you and i needing a break but as we get deeper and deeper into this and we've talked to more and more people it does get a little trickier to make sure we have a guest every single week. And yeah, we want to delve more into doing video stuff and we have something we want to do this week or maybe next week for a new kind of YouTube video that we're pretty excited about. That isn't pop-up videos. Not that we're not, not that we won't continue pop-up videos, but to do something different. Yeah. So I'm rambling, but the whole point is, you know, eventually things change and we're going to have to tweak it. And maybe there will be weeks where we'll go more current events when we can't necessarily get a guest or something noteworthy happens. I mean, there's only so many Dave Dion's that raced 50 years ago, right? I mean, I think there's only one. Well, that's true. Yep. <laughs> but I mean, you know, our list when we started this thing was 250 ish 
people that we wanted to talk to. Well, we're almost a hundred episodes in and not all of them are accessible on zoom. (laughs) And we're definitely not always accessible in person to travel. Um, so you kind of have to work with what you're given technology wise and schedule wise. And we've got a ton of ideas. Like I've reached out to 10 people in the last five or six days about, Hey, come on the show. And two of them have responded, (laughs) you know, um, not that they're blowing me off, but just people are busy. Yep. So, so yeah, it's it's not always easy. I feel like we're just slowly keep peeling the band-aid off for you for something to change and hopefully that won't have to happen though for a while. Outside of good change where we just bring you more stuff and more content and like I said, we have plans to do that. Uh we have some ambitious plans for the summer where we would like to do a documentary. I'll put that out there. That is something I kind of talked to Justin about wanting to do back when we started this with my, you know, video production degree and kind of wanting to do something in that vein. And Justin's unbelievable mind for the history of, racing here in new England and the stories that could be told. And, you know, we've got a couple narrowed in that I think we'd like to try to get ambitious and try to do something this summer. And we just got access to our own drone. Yes. We're going to do some stuff. I can't wait till that thing, the batteries die in the middle of the warrior feature and it lands on Neil Foster's windshield. The good thing with this thing, shout out to Tom Corbett Sr. It's my Christmas gift. John Thomas. Yeah. Uh, That's an insider. That's inside baseball right there, for those that know. I think we talked about it at one point on an episode. Yeah. Uh, No, with this one, as the battery gets low, it will sense it, and it will automatically return. Really? Yeah. At least that's what the, so you, the box and the pamphlets say. All right. So know this then, Neil. When that thing comes crashing down on your windshield, it's intentional. It's on purpose. That's right. <laughs> Make sure you are uh, following us on all the socials, Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook, Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram. My throat's too sore to sing this Instagram thing that I do every week. So the Instagram guys. Also, if you are interested in being a part of the family, maybe you want to sponsor the uncommon deeds podcast. We got some openings. Uh, Maybe you want to sponsor pop-up videos. Hey, on the YouTube and, or just general YouTubery that we're doing. Cause we have some, pretty cool ideas that hopefully y'all will like. Uh, you can send us an email uncommonmediavt at gmail.com while you're at it. Check out the no fouls podcast as that is rolling right now, heading into episode seven with a, with a big moment coming up in a few weeks. Yeah. That hopefully, we're going to wait till after Friday to make sure that 
that moment happens, and then we will let you guys know, and that'll have a little bit of a build-up for a very exciting episode that I am looking forward to. But they've all been really fun, and it's been something I've very much enjoyed diving into here in this winter time. And the response has been very good, so thank everybody that has tuned in. Do me a favor, share it, let people know, spread the word for me. I realize, you know, and we've talked about it, it's it's kind of going community to community as opposed to yeah. the Deeds podcast where it's all kind of the racing community. You know, you might hit the Hazen community, you might hit the Williamstown community, so on and so forth. But I will say there are stories in there that are good, whether you're, you know, a Hazen fan, you can listen to Jack Carrier's Williamstown podcast and it'll be entertaining. Uh, or Jeff Davis or Udo Otley. My God, that was a great show. Yeah. The last wow. one we just did with Matt Johnson. I mean, talked about playing professionally in Ireland for a year where Don yeah. King popped into a bar where he was drinking and bought everybody around and meeting with one of the political leaders of the <laughs> IRA of the on IRA Christmas during wartime, during wartime in the early nineties of Ireland. Whoa. Yeah. So please Crazy. check them out. I'm really enjoying it. And there's more to come on that aspect. And I think there's going to be more to come from that on our YouTube channel as well. Nice. We're going to start diving in, hopefully to doing some stuff with that also. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Right on. As for Justin and I, it is our time to bid you adieu. You have been listening to the uncommon deeds podcast, a production of uncommon media.